Well, happy Father's Day, church. I was just back there thinking about being online again, and uh, it reminded me of my dating relationship with my wife. This long distance thing where we would see each other and we'd get connected and then she'd have to go home and I wouldn't see her for a while. So that's all to say I miss you and it's so much better in person. And we are, we are believing for uh, getting back to in person this week. So praise God for that. Happy Father's Day to you fathers. We want to honor you as Pastor John said and uh, just bless you. You are amazing. We have some amazing fathers in this church. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you, for the examples you set, for the men of God that you are. We honor you, and I think it's important in our society that we honor fathers. They are the bedrock of our society. They are, they are uh, important in how healthy our society is. And I was looking back and just looking at Father's Day and the history of Father's Day, and I found an interesting fact that maybe you already knew, but it was news to me, and that is that it actually started in this state. In Spokane, Washington, Washington in 1909, uh, a lady by the name of Mrs. Dodd was listening to her, a Mother's Day sermon at her local church. And as she listened, thoughts of her father started to come to her mind. And she realized that there had never been a day to honor fathers also. So she requested, she initiated a process in getting that day set aside. And the mayor of her town set aside the third Sunday in June to uh, celebrate Father's Day. This was then reinforced by the governor, and then it took another um, many years until 1972 when President Nixon actually made the holiday permanent by signing congressional resolution. But I thought it was interesting that Father's Day started in this state, and, and the importance of honoring Father's Day. It's also interesting during that same time period that there was a revival movement of God, move of God in Spokane, uh, it was earlier that year that Billy Sunday preached a sermon to 10,000 people, revival meeting in, in, in Spokane. So I think there's something to be said that, that, that revival goes hand in hand with the hearts of fathers being returned to their children and the hearts of children being returned to their fathers. And that's what God wants to do in our generation. So I want to talk a little bit about this morning, um, the importance of honoring and celebrating fathers in our culture. And so one way to look at that is this. Uh, to understand what happens when there isn't a father. To understand how different life can be for those who don't have either fatherless or there was an absent father in their life. Um, and look at what pop culture has done. You know, they, they have denigrated and they've ridiculed fathers and dismissing them as deadbeats. Uh, quoting one journalist in an article titled, Dumbing Down Dad, How Media Presents Husbands' Fathers as Useless, was the name of the article. I quote, her, the, the author is saying, it's not hard to find if you watch TV, then you've most likely witnessed the portrayal of the modern-day husband and father as lazy, incompetent, and stupid. Just these three characters are sure to bring to mind one commercial or sitcom that personifies this type of man. I think of the Blinds commercial. And there's the wife in the foreground, and she's just talking about her goofy husband. And then the back, husband's wound up in the blinds trying to put him up, you know. And so this portrayal, while it may be funny, also denigrates and, and dishonors men and, and doesn't respect the man, the, the, the fathers as they should be and as I believe we need to do. So today we want to honor, and I want to look at this, the importance of godly fathers, looking at how the absence of fathers impacts our society 
There may be, there are some exceptions to this, but in many cases, um, kids who are raised without a father, generally speaking, children who grow up without a father in their home have a much greater risk of major challenges in life. Today, 25% or 18 million kids do not live with a father figure. Think about that for a minute. And then when you think about God's heart, the Bible describes our father as the, a father to the fatherless, and it should grip our hearts as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Fatherless homes are more likely to live below the poverty level than two-parent homes. According to a government study from the late 90s, we can only guess it's worse now, but fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless and runaway youth, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders, high school dropouts, 71%, from fatherless homes, juvenile detention rates, 70% in state-operated institutions, substance abuse, 75%. It just goes on and on, the statistics of the importance and the value of a father being in a child's life, or a father figure, in many cases where the father wasn't there, where somebody stepped in and could be a father to somebody who did not have one. And on that note, this morning, and we were in an interesting season as we saw everything getting rescheduled for this transition, and my wife and I prepare for this. I thought, what, how interesting the timing of the Lord for this to happen right after Father's Day. And this morning, I want to honor my dad and our, our senior pastor. Um, and I want to say this. One of the greatest gifts I have been given by the Lord is having a godly and loving father. And I'm going to try not to cry, but I can't think of much greater privilege than I have had over the past 20 years to minister side by side with my father. So this morning I wanna take a moment to honor my dad and our pastor who has faithfully faithfully led this congregation for the past 20 plus years. Um, Paul writing to Timothy says this, he says his son, to his son in the faith, he says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, and love and perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystrum, at, and what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, I look at my dad's life, and I thank God for his teaching and wisdom in my life. He shares the word of God faithfully with us. He did it as a family with sound teaching, instructing, reproving, and correcting and training our family and the people of God in righteousness. Now, it took me a while to get hold of this. Mark Twain was quoted as saying this. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I, couldn't, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. See, I didn't always appreciate my dad's wisdom and guidance and often pushed to decide to go my own way, but thankfully when, when the Lord got a hold of my life, I started to realize how valuable those insights were and how many things he had spoken to me actually came to pass and were true in my life. Secondly, he commends, he talks about following his conduct, Paul does to Timothy, 
And my dad has always been a man of integrity, and I want to testify to this, that he lives in secret what he preaches in public. He's been an example to our family of what it meant to grow in grace and be free from sin, to live godly, knowing his children and others were watching his example and following. In purpose, he's always lived with a sense of purpose, single focus, to see the will of God done and to fulfill God's will and call in his life. And in doing so, he instilled in us a greater purpose than living for ourselves. His faith and his faithfulness. He taught me how, he taught me by how he lived in our household and in the household of faith, what it meant to trust God and believe in God for provision, healing, wisdom, etc. He has faithfully served God's people, showing us what it means to be a servant of all. There is no job too small or too big for him. Anyone who works side by side knows him, knows this is true, whether it's fixing toilets at the church or going to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel. I'm thankful and I honor him today for his patience, something I'm working on. While he had his moments of being frustrated and so forth, he always came around to trusting God's timing and, and, and showed us what it meant to suffer long when it came to leading our family and shepherding God's people. You know, they say about pastoring, it would be easy if it weren't for the people. But the people are what it's about. Come on, somebody. So love, throughout the years, my dad has exemplified... Love to me is my father who never gave up on me in my worst condition. Having gone astray, lost and rebellious, he never gave up. And I know, and I, I look back now as a parent and I try to imagine what some of the things I did and how that must have made him feel. Um, and yet he pushed on, he pressed on, he prayed and and, and, and I know he met with pastors, and they were like, this is the way you need to pray. You need to pray this man, this, your son gets in trouble for everything he does <laughs> so that he will know that God, he is the Lord's. And, and that's exactly what happened. So God gave him wisdom on how to pray for me and how to believe for me to come back to God's purpose and plan for my life. He's loved the unloved. He's cared for the fatherless, the widow, laying down his life for the sake of others, tending to the wounds of God's sheep, and when necessary, leaving the 99 to find the one, the heart of the shepherd. I honor him today for his perseverance, his steadfastness. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in a pastor's life that many of you don't know. He's endured challenging times and challenging people in ministry living at times without paychecks, dealing with church splits, conflicts, issues, but never growing weary in well-doing, trusting God to see him through, believing he would see God's goodness in the end. So we just thank God for him this morning. And I hope if you're at home, you can honor our pastor and my father. And, and he's a father to many of us. It says, 1 Corinthians 4.15, For if you... We're to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And so he's been a father to many, not just our family, but he's a father to so many in the faith. And we're so grateful. And I'm standing here today because of his, his love, his, 
his, his guidance and, and um, him standing by me during the hardest times in life. And so I'm thankful for that. And so on that note, I just want to speak this morning briefly to you about fathers with a father's heart. Fathers after his heart and what it, what it means to father with the father's heart. And number one, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just go there this morning, if you will. Verses 1 and 2. And I just want to share a few thoughts from my heart this morning about fathering. I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I'm so grateful. There's no greater privilege in life than being a father and getting to see them grow and nurture and and, and grow in the Lord, nurture them and grow, see them grow in the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. But I know this, that being a father, number one, starts by being a good son. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also has loved you and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Praise God. The reality is we don't really know what love is until we've experienced the love of our Heavenly Father. You know, and, and I, one of the things I've, I learned quickly as a parent is that kids are imitators, and sometimes that can work against you. By nature, after they, 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 they watch every move, every attitude. They mimic every snarky word that comes out of my mouth. But here in this passage, Paul says, be imitators of God. And so I can tell you as fathers, the greatest thing we can do is starting by being an imitator of our father. And he says, walk in love, it's a, and, and just as Christ has also loved you, and gave himself up for us. There's a sacrificial love of God that, that, that he has given us as sons and daughters of the Most High. And then we can walk in that love for the sake of our family. We can lay down our life. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his family. So that sacrificial love that God gives us, even if you didn't grow up with a father figure, even if you didn't have that example growing up, the father can give you, and I pray that the father would give you this morning a fresh revelation of his love for you as a son. Because in being a son, we learn how to be a father from the greatest father of all. There are many of you as fathers who grew up not knowing God's kind of love from your earthly fathers. And as we grow in relationship, we learn his love. And Jesus modeled this. He lived for this purpose, to glorify and represent his father. Not, he said, I don't act on my own initiative. I don't speak on my own initiative, but I only speak what I hear the Father speaking, and I only do what I see the Father doing. And so in doing, he gave us the model of how to live our lives. To reveal. Jesus came to reveal the Father and the heart of the Father. And as fathers, that's our mission. That's our Calling is to reveal the heart of the Heavenly Father to our kids. Praise God. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. 
It says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. I want you to see that for a moment. No one, you know, we hear this word discipline, and maybe depending on your upbringing, it, has, it, brings, to, it brings different emotions and feelings and memories and things that are associated with that word. But he says, look, this is a discipline, this is a reproof as a father gives a son in whom he delights. Because the God the Father delights in us, he reproves us, he corrects us, he chastens us, but his motive is love. And I learned from that just how to discipline my kids. But until I can be disciplined by the Father, then I don't know how to necessarily discipline as a father. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so we love to worship God. We love the goodness of God. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He is good to us, but he also wants to work in our lives. He also wants to, to, to discipline us and chasten us. And look what it says. The result of this is the aim of God's discipline in our life. He says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject, subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share, listen to this, share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. All the kids said amen. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. His aim is to have us be sharers in his holiness and to yield peaceful fruit of righteousness in our life. Being a son means we're willing to submit ourselves, allow him to mold us, shape us, form us, that we may be conformed to his image. And our experience, as I mentioned before, with our earthly fathers, often colors our responses to God's dealings in our lives. When my dad disciplined me growing up, there was a couple things he did before doing so. First, he would send me to my room. Absolute torture. Now, he didn't do this to my brother. See, now, if he, he knew that, see, God gave him wisdom on every kid's unique, and God has to give you wisdom on how to discipline each kid. My brother liked going to his room. So his discipline was to be sat between his parents on the couch, and that was torture. Me, the 100% extrovert, did not like being in my room alone. So that was torture. And not only that, it was a waiting period, an indefinite waiting period, as to when that discipline would occur. Some of you know how, some of you have experienced this. um, But I realized later, He probably did that so he could cool off before dealing with me. 
He didn't want to discipline me from a place of anger. Secondly, when he would discipline me, he always started by telling me two things. How much he loved me and why the discipline was necessary. And I know he did this because it came from the heart of the Father. I knew the reason was the motive was love. I didn't feel condemned, but I was loved to change. And that's how God deals with us as a loving father. He chastens us. He disciplines us. And I'm thankful that my dad represented that in my life. I know all of us have not had that. Some have come from abusive backgrounds or different types of things. Or maybe you came, you were raised in a performance culture is what I would call it. Either in your home or in church or in different, anywhere else. But sometimes in a performance culture, we're afraid to be wrong. We're afraid, we're, we're afraid of being transparent about things that God's working on in our lives. And I've, I, I've, I've noticed this thing, that one, I am far from a perfect parent. I make a lot of mistakes as a parent. But one of the things I've learned is that as I'm in this process, to bring my kids into this process. When I mess up, I talk to them. Say, hey, Daddy messed up there. I'm sorry. Sorry I, sorry I lost my cool. I'm sorry I uh, got upset at the Seahawks game. Whatever it may be. But God's working on me. And I, I let them see this process because I believe it le- lets them see how gracious and how loving and how caring our Heavenly Father is that he's, he's working with us that I'm a work in progress, that God is doing things in my life. And as a son, but when I share God is working in my life, even in the correction and discipline, he's working in me. My kids see the need for humility, the need for a teachable spirit, the need for being moldable. They see the reality of what it is to be truly a son. So number one is being a good son. Number two is being a loving husband. It's how we father with the Father's heart. You say, well, I thought we were talking about fathers, not husbands. Well, you're both. And Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see the theme here? Gave himself up. And I, I've noticed this. So you, can't, you cannot just segment or... Um, say I'm a father here and I'm a husband here. They, 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 they're blended together because I've noticed this. The way I treat my wife has a huge impact on my kids and their emotional health. How we deal with conflict, how we deal with arguments, how we deal with disagreements. I know this might surprise you, but we have some. This is the beauty of marriage. It's a diversity of opinions and personalities coming together to bring forth wonderful fruit but in that there's disagreements in that there are things that come between us there's friction occasionally and if maybe you haven't experienced that then i'd like to talk to you about how you're doing that but in that friction 
and my kids experience it and they see it and they feel it and but we also bring them into the resolution we let them see us work it out because i want them to see the love and the and and the care what better way to demonstrate the love of Christ but to demonstrate to my wife to love her sacrificially, giving up what I want for what she wants, speaking words of encouragement, treating her with gentleness, being affectionate. See, my wife and I will start to be affectionate and my kids want to get in because they love it. It, it, it speaks something to their hearts. There's even studies that show a healthy marriage is, is so important to the health and the emotional upbringing of your kids and how they develop. I know in our marriage, one of the things we had to deal with was I came from a, let's just say, a household where we hashed things out. Right? We would, we would disagree, but then we would, we'd, we'd resolve it, and we still loved each other. But my wife had come from a different background, and she had seen divorce, and she'd seen the pain of that, and she'd seen conflict without resolution. And so with that experience many times, she was afraid of conflict because she didn't know it could have a good ending. And so I want my kids to see, you know what? You can have conflict, and you can have friction, but we still love, and we come to agreement. We come to, he- we come to healing in the Lord. We come to finding a place in the Lord where we still love each other and we still work things through. First Peter 3, 7 says, your husbands, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. How will they know? Pastor John shared this important passage out of Ephesians 6, which says, honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise. But how can they learn to honor my wife if I don't demonstrate how to do so? How will they know the type of person to marry unless I demonstrate what a good husband looks like for my daughter, Grace? So these things are so important. One, being a good son. Two, being a loving husband. Three, being a servant leader. Proverbs 22, 6. You know, the the Bible says you are the... The husband is the head of the household, the head of the home, just as Christ is head of the church. And with that comes a responsibility. It comes with uh, an accountability to lead your family. And what a tremendous responsibility. What a tremendous privilege. The greatest ministry we have is to our families. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Charles Spurgeon quote, says this, he says, train up a child in the way you should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. We need to model the life we want others to follow, including our children. Do what I say and not what I do is not a formula for success in raising this generation. Come on. More is caught than is taught. If what we're saying and speaking to them is not consistent with who we are and our actions, they see that conflict. They see that disparity. They see that, and it affects them. 
Fathers, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I want, to, I want you to notice this. It doesn't say pastors. It doesn't say youth pastors. It doesn't say children's pastors, but it says fathers. No one has a greater impact than you and your wife in that kid's life. And you cannot, by under any circumstance, as a follower of Christ, abdicate that responsibility to dis- discipline and instruct kids in the way of the Lord. What, it's a privilege. It's a responsibility. But God gives us the grace and shows us how. Amen? Deuteronomy 6, 3 through 7 says this, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land flowing with milk and honey, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Diligently. The word of the Lord being held up in our household. Teaching training, disciplining, instructing in the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, letting the word of God, esteeming the value of the word of God in our kids' lives, letting them see it active in our lives. And I've seen this when, I, when, I, when we emphasize the word of God, it has an impact on our kids' lives. The word of God is powerful. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, and, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've seen this work in our kids' lives when, when they're dealing with something and, and letting the word work in their heart and them coming to us, you know, God showed me this. But it's because we, in our lives, have, as fathers, are leading and holding the word of God up and esteeming it in the lives of our children. Amen. Servant leaders. Number four, faithful provider and protector. It's the nature of our Father, and it's who we are to be as well. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have seen, I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I, am, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Come on, somebody. When you live a righteous life, when you put your trust in the Lord, when you trust him as your father, as your provider, Jehovah Jireh, then I believe all needs will be met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But First Timothy 5.8, Paul puts an emphasis on this and he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, listen to this, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Woo! That stings. But it's in our heart. I remember growing up, my dad, my mom, always, my parents were always intent on ensuring that we as kids were never afraid of lack. They worked hard to make sure there was always enough to eat for us kids to have clothing and to know we were loved. They wanted us to be safe. They wanted us to not worry about those things. But, you know, us older child, if you're, first, if you're the uh, 
firstborn, you know sometimes you got this responsibility thing. And I used to spy on their um, budget conversations. But I can remember when we first moved here and we had been in the area a couple years, my dad, you know, it wasn't a great time in the economy in Washington State, but he found a job working at a tire shop and he would ride his bike down to this bus stop through the rain in the winter months and go to that tire shop making about half what minimum wage is now, I'm sure. But he did it so that every need was met and we never lacked. I remember my mom, I went to a school where they, these, it was a, there was, there's wealthier kids in the school and so I just wanted to fit in and be a part and I always wanted Levi 501 jeans. I know not as cool now, but they were cool then. But we could only afford tough skins. Now, if you've ever heard of tough skin jeans, this is like, I mean, extreme engineering. These jeans, they could have dragged you behind a, a, a truck and not skid the jeans. You know, they would not have worn out. But my mom wanted me to fit in, so she somehow found a patch from some of those stylish jeans, and she put them on my tough skins so that I would feel loved. <laughs> and even though, even though they weren't 501s, I knew my mom loved me and that every need would be met. You know, every father feels this pressure and burden to provide for their family. The man carries this accountability. And we know even in our modern day culture today where there's two incomes and sometimes even the wife is uh, bringing in more income than the husband, it doesn't matter. This accountability sits on the shoulders of the husband as the head of the household, as the leader, to make sure his family's provided for. And so here's how we find this is we know our father to be a good provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And he, he knows our every need. He knows what we have need of before we even ask him. God will never shortchange us. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And as, as we put our trust in him, and, and one of the things we, why this is important is the attitude our children will grow up with towards money matters. If they're afraid of lack, right, or will they grow up with an attitude that we demonstrate in our household of faith and believing God for answers and knowing that God will supply all their need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus no matter what comes. I want my kids to be able to trust God. I want them to know that they can trust him and that he's their provider. AT&T might write my check, but it's God who is my provider. It's also our instinct as fathers to protect just as our father is a protector. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have refuge. We are raising our kids in a perverse age. And we have the burden to protect them from sinful influences, from bad company that corrupts good communication, from worldly wisdom Helping them to discern how will our kids be able to navigate this world unless we've helped them and taught them how to discern evil from good. We have a generation that calls good evil and evil good. We need to help them and to provide them the word of God and guidance. Amen. And lastly, but not lastly, number five is this being a praying priest. You are the priest of your household. 
Just as Jesus is our high priest, and in Hebrews it says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses, having been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. Then it says in Hebrews 4, 16, to come boldly before his throne of grace. That's who our high priest is, and that's the heart we need to have for our household. We are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That's our calling, fathers. We have responsibility to pray for our families, to speak on behalf of God to our family, and to petition on their behalf to God. We stand in the gap for them, knowing, knowing that apart from him, we can't do anything. That he's our protector, he is our guide, he is our He is our all in all as the priest of the household. Hallelujah. Can we just have the worship team come as I close this morning? But I really feel that God wants to minister to you, to bless you, fathers. And one of the things I'm aware of is that many of us are carrying in our hearts and our lives father wounds, things that Even as you hear of what it means to be a father after his heart, you say, well, maybe there are some things missing in your life. Maybe that's not how things were for you. But I believe the Holy Spirit is here this morning to minister to you and to heal you of those wounds. To to give you a fresh revelation this morning of what it means to be a son of the most perfect father.